What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack podcast. It's April 6th, 2022, and uh, my baby girl's birthday. Don't ask me how old she is. Do the math. I think she was born in 98. But anyway, happy birthday to uh, her for sure. We've got uh, Sarah with Hold My Guns uh, in the green room waiting to come in before we bring her in and talk about mental health, safe gun storage, uh, violence prevention, and a whole host of other things. Most likely, a quick shout out to those that make the podcast and things on the channel possible. And yes, I'm talking about the YouTube channel members, the Patreon patrons, those that super chat, super thanks, and shop over at clovertack.com slash shop. Thank you to uh, all of those. Uh, also, big shout out and thanks to those listening in the audio podcast forum or the replay forum in general. And remember, like a lot of them that are filing in now, you can uh, always join us live. And when you do join us live, you're able to uh, ask questions out there in the chat. So uh, put those questions out there in the chat for Sarah or myself as we're moving forward. Make sure they're relevant to the conversation, please. No silly uh, questions out there that are off topic that derail us. And uh, yeah, we'll try to get those answered for you. And uh, with that, let's bring in the uh, the lady of the hour here. Sarah, how are you, ma'am? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on your show tonight. It's always good to see you. Finally, I think uh, we've been on a lot of panels together, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think I've had you on this podcast before. We've never got the schedules to work out. I don't think. I I agree. I don't I don't think so. Although it feels <laughs> like, like you said, we've been on a lot of podcasts together, and I always appreciate Chris how you just bring uh, so much heart to that conversation. And you know, a lot of times in these panel discussions. Um, like recently we did one with uh, tactical pineapple, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you always just kind of bring it back to people and caring for people in our community. And I appreciate that you advocate for our community in that way and that you're someone that I know that if if I were struggling, that I could give you a call and say, hey, Chris, I'm having a bad day. Will you help me to think through this? Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes any, well, really any of us can find ourselves in that situation. And when yep. you're in that mode, it's hard to even think. So thank you for being someone that is an ally that people can reach out to and and who you, you support people. I, I really appreciate that about you. Well, and I appreciate you saying that for sure. And uh, to to be humble about it. I'm not alone in our community. I think you would agree with that. Uh, yes. There, there's a lot of jack wagons. Let's use that word because I want to <laughs> stay as PG as possible in our community. There's no doubt. Uh, but there's far, far more people that genuinely do care about the community. They care about the people in the community. They want to see everybody succeed and be happy and be free and all of these other things. Uh, it's, yes. it's a great community to be a part of. So it's really easy. Uh, it's really easy to be that kind of a person in our community because we have so many uh, examples to follow, quite honestly. Yes. And, and really, Chris, you know, those jack wagons out there, they're not immune from things happening in their life. And many times people put up that really tough front. I know I've done it. You know, sometimes you just have to keep that stiff up, stiff up our lip and just be like, <laughs> we're going to plow through and I'm going to put on, I'm going to stay frosty. And, you know, those are all things that we, there's a time and a place for that. But really, you know, even those really tough and strong and uh, well-known people can still have days that are just terrible. And so it's just, 
something I also appreciate about you is how you really help to bring unity to our firearms community. And, you know, there's always, even though there's always that like uh, kind of happy banter, like that heckling that goes on between different, you know, um, podcasts and things like that. Really, oh, yeah. at the end of the day, people care. And, you know, we we always, no matter how much uh, fun trash talk banter that happens on the interwebs, at the end of the day, we all genuinely care about each other. And uh, it's, it's just so important that we keep a humble heart knowing that at any point that could also be us. And to always be welcoming when those um, difficult people come to us and say, you know, I actually could use some help. Will you be able to help me? And and we always say yes. Yeah, absolutely. So this be a, your first time on on this particular show. I'm going to give you the floor just for a couple of minutes before we tackle, I guess, some more serious and maybe interesting things. But uh, for those out there in my audience that don't know who you are and do, and do not know about hold my guns and and hopefully that's not many people to be quite honest with you i would hope everybody would know um i'm going to give you a couple of minutes tell your backstory if you want uh, a little bit on how my uh how hold my guns got started uh, and all that jazz all right so my name is sarah joy albrecht and i'm the executive director and co-founder of Hold My Guns. You can learn more about our work and support our mission at holdmyguns.org and also find us on social media at holdmyguns.org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and we partner with gun shops, uh, retail FFLs across the United States to provide voluntary firearm storage, underscore voluntary, during times of crisis or personal need. Now, a crisis could mean that there is a member of a household that doesn't even have to be a gun owner who might be experiencing a mental health crisis or a substance abuse crisis. Um, and that gun owner might recognize, hey, we need to temporarily store firearms outside of our home so that this person in our household can be safe from harm, safe from the temptation of, of using a firearm. And so we always want to remember it's not necessarily for the gun owner, but the gun owner is the individual who would store that firearm. Another example, I mentioned personal need might be if someone were being deployed for an extended period of time, or maybe they're going to be showing their house in preparation for a move. And so doing this, storing firearms voluntarily off-site helps to reduce suicide. It helps to reduce accidental shootings or negligent shootings, I should say. Um, and it also helps to reduce theft of firearms and stolen firearms using a crime, all things that can stem from unauthorized access to firearms. So what we provide is this non-legislative liberty-based solution that emphasizes personal responsibility. And we have currently three partners. Uh, we have one in Louisiana, one in Massachusetts, and one in Missouri. Um, and we are growing. We have an upcoming partner uh, shortly in Georgia and also one in Washington State. So be on the lookout for those um, probably this spring, early summer to make that announcement. The other thing that we do is to help provide things like QPR, which stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer, suicide prevention training, um, and, and other educational opportunities in the firearms community. So I absolutely love this job. Um, the reason why I started Hold My Guns 
um, and and really took seriously this mission is because I'm a range safety officer um, and I love shooting and I love teaching young people. I volunteer at a youth league and have for many years. All five of my kids have gone through that league. I have a distinguished expert, two experts and two sharpshooters to give you an idea of, of how much shooting sports are important to our family. And Someone in our community, not related to shooting sports, but someone in our community um, took her own life and she was 18 and she used a firearm and my kids came to me and they said, mom, um, we care, care very much about preserving rights. Um, we have no problem with firearms, but our friend is dead. So how can we help people in our community when there is someone who's struggling and they are afraid to ask for help or they don't have friends or family members who can help them, or maybe because of state laws, it um, makes it illegal to transfer a firearm to someone else for safekeeping. And so, you know, when your kids come to you and their friends come to you and they ask for help about something like this, you have to do something. And it was so important, you know, many times when we think about do something, we think about, oh goodness, that opens the door to a lot of infringements. And um, so we ha always have to, to take um, tasks like this with in the bigger context of how do we preserve rights. And I met with firearms attorney Joshua Prince, who is very well known for his work to help preserve rights and restore rights. Um, and he helped us to come up with a system that uh, basically piggybacks on the consignment and consignment return process. So that's what we use. Um, but the cool thing is, is that if Hold My Guns can help um, gun owners with this firearm storage component, what it does is helps to preserve rights because it allows people to get there to get help. It gives that time and space away from lethal means so that they can get help and get things in order and then pick up their firearms in a way that uh, promotes self-determination and agency. And it helps them to stay clear of the need for outside intervention um, you know, where things like red flag laws might come into play in some states. So if we can help people and empower them, um, it helps to preserve rights and helps to save lives as well. So yeah. there you go in a nutshell, a long that, nutshell. That works though. And I okay. do have, I see DJ through the, uh, the link out there for the website in the live chat. Thanks for that, DJ. I add for those that are in replay, wherever you're watching, listening, the link is also down below. Um, so I want to talk about that link uh, just a little bit. Uh, in the context, I guess, of, of funding a little bit, uh, are there mechanisms through the website by which people can can help fund the project? Yes, and I I am so appreciative when people help with funding. Um, if you go to the website, there is a button for donations. It's it's on the uh, top right corner. I believe. And we also have a link for donations in our link tree for all of our social media. And um, I just want to say that the that many people have said, like, look, I don't have time to talk to gun shops. I don't have time to go out and, you know, do all this advocacy work. But by donating, I am participating in your mission and we love helping you. So I just want to put that out there that that the bigger ask is participate in the mission, whether it's financially or helping to get the word out. Um, we're you're in the trenches with us and we really appreciate that. Right. Uh, now, speaking of funding, you had some uh, some interesting, surprising, some awesome things happen recently, I guess, with some big donors, some big 
uh, funders that came in. You want to talk about those for just a minute? That sounds exciting. It sure was. Uh, so I was at SHOT Show this year and I was it was so cool to be at, at SHOT Show again and, and in person. And it happened to be John Korea's 46th birthday. And um, you know, we have a we have a great friendship in, you know, in the um in the firearms community. And so he's like, Hey, Sarah, um, I want to invite you to, to lunch uh, today. And I'm like, Oh man, I have um, a meeting with Mantis coming up and he's like, it's okay. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just tell them no big deal. And I'm like, okay, if John Curry is saying no big deal, like I'll, I'll call and we'll, we'll delay a little bit. Um, I'll just go with that. So I'm like, okay. And so we're sitting at lunch and um, he was like, he totally set this thing up. Um, which is really, really sweet. So after lunch, we went over to the Mantis booth and uh, he was like, we we're going to interview you on top of the Mantis booth. And I'm like, okay, so here, you know, again, like we're trying to do like networking stuff and, uh, sure. and I'm thinking I'm going to be here for this meeting. And so we walk up the the steps of the, uh, of their booth and like everyone clears out, they're all eating lunch. <laughs> and all of a sudden he starts like setting up camera and everything. And, um, and Neil Widener was there and he was interviewing me and we were talking about safety plans and we have um, our new safety plans are available through our link tree on our social media. And he was sharing with people the importance of, of safety plans and highlighting some of the items that are on our plan. And then all of a sudden he like looks at me and he's, he goes, um, you know, and we're, we're going to be helping you. And we have um, four donors. We're all going to be matching up to 5,000 each. And those four donors were active self-protection HK, Mantis, and Palm Industries. They make a wow. fantastic pepper spray project product. And so here they are catching me on, on camera. Like I totally started tearing up because it was just so beautiful. And it it goes again, it goes beyond funding. It is, you know, these giants in in the defense community um speaking up and saying this is something that we support. We support the mission of Hold My Guns and we value the people in our community and we want to make sure that they have firearm storage and that they're also supported and treated with dignity if they're um going through a rough patch. So that was just phenomenal. And through the grassroots fundraising and the matching, we ended up raising over twenty seven thousand dollars and wow. it was again totally surprised but one of the just the most beautiful things so happy birthday john korea <laughs> uh, again that was just a really cool thing that that uh, active self-protection did and we're, we're so grateful the whole community is so grateful for that right now was that i mean what how many shot shows was that for you in 2022 that was my second one. Second, okay mm -hmm. okay um, so I noticed something with, with SHOT Show in 22, and it had to do a lot with coming out of COVID. It had to do with a lot of the controversy of what big companies were, were not going to be there, what big name creators or people in the firearm industry, you know, our community weren't going to be there. There was a mm -hmm. lot of drama, but I knew from walking into industry day at the range on Monday this was going to be a totally different shot show. Unlike everything I had been through before. Now your frame of reference is one. Mine's not very many more than one um, at that point, but it was for the networking, the communication, that aspect of things. I think mm -hmm. this was by far the best shot show ever. Did it was you so get fun. That feel? 
Yes, it was it was really fun. Uh, when we were there in 2020, it just seemed like um, it was so there's I, I mean, we didn't know the whole world didn't know it was going to hit them <laughs> in 2020. Um, uh, we actually my husband and I ended up getting sick after shot and likely had covid uh, in 2020. Um, so that was, you know, you know, it was just like a whole thing. But, uh, you know, everybody there, we didn't know what the world what would happen when we all got home from shot show. And I think in contrast, um, whether it's because of different vendors there or, you know, some of that kind of drama stuff, I think everyone has realized the importance for um, preserving rights and and upholding the firearms community, the beauty of our firearms community. And it just seemed like people had like more of an open attitude to um, listening and having conversations I personally was booked the entire time. I was so excited to see John Wick's car and I didn't get to see it until they were literally taking apart the the booth, um, you know, on the very last day. So I, I was just super busy. It sounds like everybody had the a similar experience. And it's also been my experience with events this year where they're opening things back up. Um, I was at the Great Outdoor Show recently and which is an NRA show. And it had a similar feel to it where people were just so grateful for freedom and exercising their rights that there wasn't as much snobbery going on. And, and I thought it was very enjoyable. Yeah. I think it was, I, th I think it was sort of, I think it was sort of twofold. I think that it was obviously having basically two years of nothing. Um, people were wanting that, one-on-one -on -one, that FaceTime, that personal interaction. I think there was that component, at least the people that were there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think also because of the two years of the lockdowns and the mandates and the government says you must do this, I think right. you're right. I think there was a, a heightened resistance to mandates and just overall tyranny. I mean, there was a mm -hmm. heightened love of liberty, I think, uh, going on as well because I think folks see that look what the government can do, right? They're going to use a, a, a disease, a, a whatever, a virus to literally shut down the entire country. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. And and then, you know, it, it is uh, two weeks to flatten the curve. And, the, and, and it just seems like there's almost this like push now for mental health from the same people. And it's like, oh yeah, we've really, we've been through so much. And I, it's kind of, it's really frustrating because it's like, well, how much of this have you guys <laughs> imposed on us through these unnecessary mandates and, um, you know, people um, worrying about losing their job or losing their jobs, um, you know, things like that. And, and the stress that it caused, um, you know, it did, it felt like at SHOT Show was like the safe haven of, of freedom uh, that was just right on that beginning of things truly opening up again. It just felt so good. Yeah, definitely. Now with that, are you, are you headed to the NRA show next month? We're, nope. We're, we are not planning on going to NRA. However, I am going to be at the girl in a gun national conference at the ah, end of April. Nice. And I am so excited because I will be teaching QPR question persuade refer uh, suicide prevention training, which is a certified course. So those who are attending um, will walk away with a, a 
if they pass, <laughs> a certificate in suicide prevention gatekeeper training, which is an excellent thing. We really want to push that um, for firearms professionals such as range safety officers and instructors to have suicide prevention training. And they can add that cert to all of their other certs. And one of the reasons why we decided to start offering that training and why I got certified is that we had two board members have um, people schedule time on the range under the guise of instruction. And um, they they were actually considering taking their own life and they were looking for a way to do that. And so um, my co-founder, Genevieve Jones, she's, in her case, uh, she said that she stopped the, in the, um, the, the course with this person's individual class and, uh, and just said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not getting a good feeling here. I think we should stop. And that person had said something like, yeah, you're probably right type thing and, and gave a little bit more details and it was the right decision for her to stop that lesson. And then, um, our former treasurer, uh, who's now doing a, a phenomenal job at, um, like doing firearms instruction that he's really taken off with his personal business, um, and, and had a, a son and everything really, really cool. Um, he had a similar experience where someone called to ask about firearms instruction and then he got a weird feeling about it and and said um you know are you are you thinking of taking your own life and this person was like actually i am and and so he was able to um wow. actually not go through with the lesson um like they she said that over the phone apparently and um so you know as these things came up in our our conversation in our team meetings um we just realized like there's not anyone that's offering suicide prevention specifically in our circle. And we need to get certified so that we can share this and offer this training to people. Um, and in hopes that if God forbid someone else, you know, looks at a trainer and their website, they might see this person is certified in suicide prevention training. And instead of calling under false pretenses to take a class, they might say, you know what, I saw your website and I'm just wondering, you know, what information do you have about suicide and, and getting help? Because, you know, I, I really could use some help with that. So that it would help people to realize even in the firearms community, um, there, there's, there are resources available. So that's why we started doing it. And I'm so excited to be doing a girl and a gun. And <laughs> that's going to be my first time going. And uh, I'm, I'm sure many folks will have fun at NRA, but I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't juggle it all. Yeah, I completely understand. Um, yeah, that program sounds, it sounds interesting. I think that, do you think that could be a benefit to have gun shops on board with that as well? Because you've got to think that people walk into that with, with weird mindsets as well. And it, it's important that those employees maybe be able to recognize that and, and be able to approach someone and talk them, mm -hmm. them through something I think is, is really important as well. Yes. It's a, it's a great training for gun shops to um, offer their employees. And the thing I love about QPR is that it doesn't set that gatekeeper up to be a counselor, but instead trains you to look for warning signs, how to ask questions in a way that shows respect to people, and then refer them to resources. So you're referring them to appropriate professional resources. You're not that person who's a counselor. And you do so in a way that, you know, 
that has respect for them, that there's a warm handoff as much as possible. That means that you might say, hey, can I go with you to this place or can I help you? You want to use my cell phone, that kind of a thing if, if they're going to be making a call. Um, but it's not just, you know, oh, go talk to those people over there in a snobby way. It's in a, it's in a really gentle right. way that's very professional and trauma-informed. So I really, I love it and I highly recommend it. And I think that it's a tremendous value add for for gun shops to offer that class as well. Right. Now, one thing I know that you, you wanted to talk about, we can move into that a little bit because it definitely aligns with the, the mission of, of Hold My Guns is uh, some of the, CDC, the the health, the mm -hmm. public safety guidelines, uh, that sort of things. We've already seen, we've talked about it previously a little bit with with COVID, and this is definitely not a COVID conversation, but you know, some of the overreach that happened with that, certainly anything could be even manufactured for the government to try to take that role again. And mm -hmm. we've we've had history from the firearm industry standpoint anyway, and Make no mistake, I, I don't for a second tell this history saying that these companies were 100% out for liberty and freedom. They were 100% out for the dollar and not being restricted you know, to their business. But um, you've got examples like Glock beating the government to the punch as far as offering locks in, uh, in with their firearms, you know, doing it on a voluntary level, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I agree with you that we need to be looking at other alternatives on a voluntary level that way. And that gives us ammunition too, no pun intended, really, that when you get anti-gun elements that say something like, well, we need to do this, then we can step in and go, but we're already doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. They say the government needs, well, the government needs to do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know what? We're already doing that here's the organizations go check these these people out why should the government step in because we're handling our own community yes uh and i i think that you know americans uh, especially during pandemic time like we really got to see some of the true colors of of uh the government and the cdc and you know of course when we first were trying to process, you know, what was going on, people were getting sick and we needed information, you know, it was like, they seem to be the big source of information. So, you know, there was a time that we were very careful and fastidious about wearing masks and things like that. And then as information came out, we realized like, there's a little bit more to the story. And, um, and there, there's a lot of um, weaponizing of public health concerns um, in order to control people. And, and for me, um, it just really hit me hard because uh, my husband nearly lost his job over it. And I realized how, um, how much control the government can have that can even affect um, our, our, necessary uh employment we, you know um, we have uh five kids so <laughs> um it it just became very real very fast and the same with um many families in the firearms community as well and so you know in the space of suicide prevention i am often approached by groups that talk about using a public health approach and so i you know as i interact with different groups and i want to be very clear there is a difference between um, 
health advocacy. And I'm saying that especially um, kind of coming coming from that before I founded Hold My Guns, I was a doula and childbirth educator for 11 years. So I have a lot of experience with helping clients um, during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum and advocating for patient rights. And I have no problem with advocating for best practices um, and encouraging people as long as that means that they can make informed decisions for their own care and their family's care and that they have personal agency. So I want to be very clear that that is not what I'm talking about here. There is a, a actual term called um, public health approach that the CDC uses. You can even go to cdc.gov and you can go to their violence prevention uh part of their website, and you'll see all of the things under this um, violence prevention public health approach that they um, have a lot of uh, research that, you know, they, they basically, they provide information. They say they provide um, the, the data to inform action, um, and they conduct research, and then they promote collaborative measures to basically implement what they deem are best practices. Now, the thing is, just like what with what we saw with um, with COVID, is that they come up with these be best practices and then they weaponize them and they turn them into to policies and they start canceling people. And we see kind of similar things in the, the public health approach. And so what I want to encourage people is, yep, there might be information out there uh, that they're putting out, you know, in their research that might be helpful, but ultimately it is up to us to practice self-governance and to um, take a liberty-based approach, which means that we're not, that we're taking personal responsibility. A public health approach means that the public is the one taking responsibility, that the public has authority over you and the decisions that you make. Again, like you can't eat in a restaurant if you don't show us your VAX card. It's the same kind of thing. Um, in New York right now, there's legislation. Um, I, I think I saw it on Bearing Arms today. Uh, talking about this new legislation that you can't carry your firearm in public transportation. Well, everybody <laughs> carries, you know, in New York uses public transportation. So, you know, the, the problem is when you have like, you know, according to CDC research, this or that, and therefore we're going to make this policy and make it law, um, people's rights end up getting infringed. So we always have to be super careful about um, even the phrasing that we use, it's not just a matter of semantics. We want to make sure that we're that we're promoting personal responsibility um, versus a public responsibility. And and if you look at the CDC website and you look at some of the phrasing that's on there, you know they use words like um, you know an epidemic when they talk about violence and firearm inju injury. And it's very similar um, manipulative wording that we see when um, when folks talk about things like COVID. So I, I do happen to have this great book right here. Um, this is America, Guns and Freedom, A Journey into Politics and the Public Health and Gun Control Movements um, by Dr. Miguel uh, Faria. And he's wonderful. He works with Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, which, by the way, is a great resource. If you want to truly learn about health and injury prevention, I recommend that you um, reach out to Doctors for Responsible Gun Owners and, and find a clinician, for example, that can help um, who's, who is 2A uh, friendly. And um, that's very important. But 
Dr. Um, Faria, he actually back in the, I guess, like 70s and 80s was um, fighting against the big government public health approach because he saw um, in his personal experience, he, he escaped Cuba, um, how that was weaponized to take away rights from people. And it's just a fascinating story. And I, um, whether or not you agree with what I'm saying, I think that his um, account of working with the CDC or fighting against the CDC, I should say, um, is it, it's something of historical note and you should definitely, you'd benefit from reading about it. Yeah. And yeah, doctors for responsible gun ownership. If you're not aware and you're out there, uh, get aware. Uh, I was unaware of them. Like they came on my radar, I think when I attended GRPC, which for those out there, this is a gun rights policy conference, I think in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I spoke with, with quite a few. And uh, I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool. <laughs> it really um, is. So there, we, we've got a lot of things going in our community, not just Hold My Guns, uh, but a lot of cool organizations and cool things that are very specialized that a lot of people don't think about. So it's a matter of getting the word out and making sure that, you know, all of these organizations know these other resources that that exist. I mean, broadening uh, your network and your sphere of influence, right? Ultimately, that can help everybody. I want to cover a couple of comments real quick, Sarah. Okay. Uh, PNW here. Um, he says uh, early intervention intervention with mental health, uh, school age kids is very important. Kids' mental health after the pandemic is at an all time low, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I would believe. And then he goes on to say, uh, way way more school counselors uh, get kids talk about their emotions, etc. Kids who uh, fail to learn social skills struggle with mental health as adults. Uh, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the shot show thing. I mean humans are social creatures it's always been that way we're wired that way yes. uh, now at what level some are of course you know way more social uh, butterflies than others might be uh some people have to work at it and maybe it's a little uncomfortable for them but ultimately um you know we like being around being around other people and interacting with other people so when you pull that away um yeah without a doubt and that that's one of the things that i've seen uh, Woods out there being a uh, being a school teacher, of course. So uh, that's where that's coming from. By the way, in mm -hmm. case you're wondering, uh, but I've seen it working with, and you've worked with with uh, kids. Well, still still work with kids, uh, but I've seen it with. Uh, that's one thing with 4-H. Uh, we had a lot of homeschool kids, yep. and the reason they got involved with 4-H shooting sports was they were homeschooled. They didn't have as much of that social interaction, and so. 4-H and 4-H shooting sports was their outlet to get them out and active in the community and with other kids and that sort of thing because they realized, the parents did, that uh, it was an important uh, thing. All yes. too often nowadays, you see parents, uh, good parenting, bad parenting, whatever, I guess, but, you know, that they just throw the kid down in front of, in my in my day and age, it was the TV, but now it's the tablet or the, how often do you see a three-year-old in the with an iPhone or with a tap and you're like, Oh man, they they're three years old. There's so much in the world yes. they can be picking up and learning right now. And you've got them looking at a, at a screen. It's horrible. It hurts. It really does. And you know, it's one of those things again, where, it, you know, many, many parents do that because they don't know how to parent their own kids and, and they, they're just, it, it always is uh, an opportunity for us to say like, you know, 
um, hey, like, how's it going? And and just be friendly. You know, if you're sitting at the park and you you see parents there, just to affirm, like, yeah, parenting is really tough, isn't it? And I, I really applaud you, whether or not their kid's looking at a screen or not, but just you don't know what has gone on in that day in that parent's life and strike up a conversation. And you might have an opportunity to say, um, you know, hey, like, I have kids too. And here are some of the things that we've learned, um, you know, and just, again, you're giving that, that parent uh, autonomy to make decisions for their kid as as long as they're not, you know, abusing them. And, and there's, that's a whole different thing, but we always have opportunities to encourage people. Um, And it's cool. You mentioned homeschoolers, Chris, did you know that I was homeschooled growing up? (laughs) Um, It doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) And so was my husband. And we uh, also, so we we're like first gen homeschoolers in Pennsylvania and uh, doing it lawfully, at least. And and his parents were even part of the legal battle to make it lawful. Oh, wow. And um, and we homeschooled our kids as well. So, you know, what I, what I want to encourage people is that regardless of um, what kind of education that you choose for your children, whether it's homeschooling or a, like a co-op hybrid or um, public school or private school or whatever it might be, I just encourage parents to check in with their kids uh, daily and to have meaningful conversations, ask how they're doing. Um, you know, even in our household, which we're, we're pretty, um, we have good relationships. I honestly, our household reminds me of being in a sitcom. Sometimes we have very snarky humor here, but you know, it's very easy to just knock on a kid's door and it's locked and it's just like, you know, not much conversation. And, and we've just said, look, we are your parents. We love you. We care about you. We're going to knock on your door. You're going to open your door and we're at least going to hear about your day. And so please don't shut us out. And they've, they have learned over the years, like, actually, that's a good thing. It's a soothing right. thing to have someone who cares. So no matter what your kids are involved with, be part of their life and know that you, you're holding space for them and you care and you're there no matter what. So important. Yeah. And I, and I don't have a, I don't have a problem with, with homeschool, public school, whatever the parents choose uh, is the way they go. We actually had a conversation a couple of days. My grandbabies recently moved back into the area from uh, Florida, which was cool. great. Uh, and, uh, of course they enrolled him in, in public school and we, we actually had a conversation about, and I actually looked up some prices on, cause I was, they, my wife said, well, are you willing to do that? And I'm like, mm, I, I, I might could handle that. I don't know. So we've been having that conversation, but I think regardless of the route that you choose, first of all, you've got to choose the route that obviously fits, you know, fits with your, your family, your socioeconomics, your income bracket, whatever, but um, also, I think that more importantly is just to make sure that when we're talking about kids is that they have a well-rounded life. They're mm-hmm. getting the education, but they're also getting the social skills. They're getting manners. They're learning civics. There's all yes. of these, you know, um, what am I thinking? Community service is a is a mm-hmm. huge thing. Um, community service builds a ton of character and not talking about court ordered community service for adults that drink <laughs> and drive or anything like that. But, you know, yeah. where kids actually you get them to where they want to go and help, whether it be at the nursing yes. home or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, Dan and out there. Teach firearm safety, no matter what, no matter where your kids go yeah, to school, no that has to be part of it too. And 
checking in with your kids about mental health and making decisions in your home. You know, if you have have one of your kids is just not doing well, um, take extra precautions. Don't just simply go with, well, they're in a safe, but you want to make sure that you're having a conversation about, um, you know, if if they are okay, especially in a, in a household where there are a lot of firearms to say like, I you know that there are firearms here. And sometimes people can get to a place where there is a temptation to misuse them. And I always want you to feel comfortable coming to talk to me if that temptation ever crosses your mind. Yep. So yep. that's so important for parenting. Just want to put that out there. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great parenting element. I mean, you, you, you want your kids to be able to come to you with literally with anything. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so Dan says that you you have excellent speaking skills, by the way. Okay. So I would I would agree. Uh, we had that conversation before we ever started. I, I told Sarah like you're not going to have a problem. You're really chatty and uh, not an is not an issue. Dan also says he's a school teacher out there, uh, so he's agreeing with Woods on uh, on what we've been talking about with the kids. Now, defense dad up here. Um, hate to hate to bring this up but you know we have to especially in light of this podcast uh said that they had a local gun shop there that had two suicides inside their range in the past 10 years we had one uh it was an outdoor range and we had one uh it's been several years ago now that unfortunately does happen and Mm -hmm. that speaks to what you were talking about with the education and training and the other resources available that Again, I said it'd be a good idea for the gun shops to to maybe you know have that, but especially if they have a range inside that mm-hmm. gun shop. Yes. Um, and then there was one more. Ah, John out there. Uh, John says the work uh, of HMG is paramount. It's beyond important that we as gun owners stay engaged with bringing solutions to the table. Otherwise, we'll be left out of the conversation. And I and I save that one to last for a reason because that kind of builds on what we've been talking about with you know the cdc and trying to dictate things and us taking it upon ourselves one of the things that you know when we identify a problem and not i'm gonna shy away from the whole gun violence thing and i'm gonna say violence violence is a problem period thank you yes um and I don't think anybody agrees that violence is a problem. We, we all want a peaceful world. We all want it to be Star Trek, right? We all want it to be a peaceful world. Um, but violence is a problem. So now, how do we solve that? And so just by, by agreeing or pointing the finger or whatever and saying, yes, violence. It's not gun violence. It's violence. Violence is a problem. We often say that. And then we stop. Mm-hmm. And so if you identify a problem, be prepared to offer solutions. Think about that. And that's what I like about you and, uh, and a lot of other organizations is you guys are bringing solutions. You, you, you obviously are pointing out, shining light on the problem. But at the same time, you're saying, here's some solutions that we have to the problem as well, which is right. great. Yes. And it's so important. You know, we think about um, that the majority of firearms related deaths are suicides, for example. Uh, what many people say, oh, well, how, how dare, you know, people weaponize that for, um, for taking away rights from people. And I would just flip it around and say, what a tremendous opportunity we have to provide a solution that helps to preserve rights and actually helps people and, and helps, uh, helps to support the decisions that they're making. And I, I think that, uh, just back to that, um, phrase gun violence, I really hate that phrase. Um, and something that I, um, have 
talked about, especially in the um, the veteran suicide prevention uh, arena. Um, my dad is a, a veteran. He served in Vietnam in the Marine Corps. And I also do work with the Northwest Pennsylvania um, Veteran Suicide Prevention Program, along with NSSF here in Pennsylvania. Is um, This is actually something Bill Broussard from NSSF kind of coined for me that I, it really stuck. And, and he noted to this, to our group, that when we talk about gun violence and, and we put, uh, when we put suicide prevention under the umbrella of gun violence, what we're saying is, is that we're equating someone who's experiencing suicidal ideation. They're thinking about using a firearm to take their own life. We are equating that with a premeditated bank robbery with a firearm. We're yep. throwing it under this, yep. this umbrella of gun violence. And what that does is it actually creates more stigma and it, it keeps people from wanting to speak up and get help because all of a sudden it's like, I, I thought I was having a mental health crisis and it turns out I'm no better than a criminal. So I, I think that, um, again, it's not just a matter of semantics. It We have to be careful about the words that we use so that we're not telling people, shut up, we don't want to hear about it because, you know, you're, you're basically a criminal. And, you know, there's a I, I, something that breaks my heart, although the firearms community is so... Um, really at the end of the day, they care about people is that sometimes we get this big push about, you know, that person should have a firearm or shouldn't have a firearm. And, and I think we get too involved in um, a conversation for that really ultimately is about taking away people's rights and creating more stigma. So I always try to encourage people, you know, to that there are there's due process for a reason and we always want to uphold that. But I would always refrain from making comments about who we think should or shouldn't have a firearm. The, you know, we have to be careful about state laws, but instead the conversation should be, it should be, um, how can we help people and reduce stigma and share information in a way that doesn't criminalize someone for simply expressing that they, they need help. Right. Now, when it comes to when it comes to what you were talking about with the with the elements that basically want to limit limit freedom, and I say elements mm -hmm. because it's not a Democrat or Republican thing or liberal or conservative thing. Um, I know some conservatives that would be perfectly fine with mandating that Christianity be a national religion or something. I mean, it, it's in no, just no. <laughs> but um, you know, it's they use this tactic to where they they hide the elephant in the room right and with suicide that's how can you that's two-thirds or whatever i mean how can you overlook that right that's that's the problem and it's the same way that when we talk about violence in general um it's in pockets right it's in pockets across the country the vast majority of violence in general happens in a, a literal handful of counties in the entire country but yet they overlook that. It's like this. Oh, this is a big, huge problem that affect that everybody is affected. And it's like, right. no, it's in. And if you would it, like we have done in the in the firearm community with, you know, shifting and focusing on that elephant, like how do we deal with this elephant? If they would do that with these pockets that experience ultra high levels of violence and figure out the root causes and address it at that level, they would solve that problem. But we all know that it's, it's about control. It's not about, it's not about solving the problem for them a lot of times, because, you know, even if this, and this gets frustrating, right? So even if we were to lower suicide by firearm 
from let's mm-hmm. say 60 percent to 20 percent they would still we were to do that today on this podcast it happens by the time we get off which would be awesome tomorrow morning we would awake to headlines where some senator is proposing some legislation to restrict firearm rights or whatever because there's way too much quote-unquote gun violence it's it's the thing is and that's the thing where you have to be steadfast right because you got to realize we're addressing this problem because unlike them we do want to save lives Mm -hmm. we do want the net number to be zero at the end of the day right yes and you know else they're they're failing to bring into that conversation is the number of defensive gun uses each year and you know if you look at right and so they completely ignore that um, it, it is, it, they really, um, if you look at the pewresearch.org, you can see the statistics for, um, firearms related deaths. And so when you look at, um, the number of, of gun related deaths in the United States, um, which in 2020, it's a, according to their website is 54% of all gun related deaths in the United States were suicide. The number that's, that's listed at Pew Research. Um, is uh, 24,292 in 2020, um, while 43% were murders, 19,384. And then the remaining um, deaths are were unintentional, 500, just 535 uh, involved law enforcement. So there's probably some kind of uh, you know investigation for, for some criminal behavior going on and maybe some, some uh, gunfire exchange, uh, 611, or wow. undetermined circumstances, 400. And so when we look at um, at the scope of that and we add up numbers like that, you know, let's let's say 25,000 to round that up for suicides, 20,000 to round it up for murders. uh, That total doesn't even compare to, you know, potentially, I I believe National Research Council said uh, potentially two million defensive gun uses, which can even include somebody um, just saying, you know, I have a firearm and you better not enter my house is considered defensive gun use. So, you know, that all the way up to someone um, defending their own life with a firearm in a situation where maybe they're being robbed or something. So I never want to minimize these important numbers about, you know, statistics regarding firearms related deaths, but what has failed to enter into many of these conversations are defensive gun uses. And those are life-saving uses of a firearm. And so it's so important in our firearms community when we're talking about this that we never lose sight of the bigger picture. And that is far more life, far many more lives are saved because of defensive gun uses versus murders and suicides. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that definitely illustrates their goal is different than our goal. Their goal is control. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to actually get the number to zero, is to actually work and save those lives. Um, G-Web's out there says, Antis uh, associate suicide and crime with all gun owners, thus making communication difficult for our community while strengthening the antis side of disagreement. He says this modern focus mends that rift. And yeah, I totally agree. It it creates a situation that is difficult. I mean, have you found it as you've talked with more liberal anti-gun elements? Have you found it more difficult for them to make arguments against you? Well, you know, many, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a, 
it's not a loaded question. Well, let's say <laughs> um, let's say valid arguments against you because anybody can make an argument, right? There you go. Uh, I think that they, first of all, there are many who are surprised that we're able to make such a difference um, regarding firearms and and helping people to make life affirming decisions. And I often hear like, you know, we've been trying for a long time in our community, and you know, look, we have all these um, groups that care about firearms. And I, I'm like, oh, really? Who is it? And it's like Mom Demand Action, Every Town, and Ceasefire, and Giffords. And they're like, yeah, we've had all these consultants, and yet our numbers are about the same. So what are you doing differently? And uh, I just say, you know, we are a for gun owners by gun owners organization, and we actually care about people. And we want to support make people making informed decisions and, and helping them. And they see that and it motivates them to want to get involved, um, whether they're storing firearms with us or they're getting more information about resources like Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And so there's that kind of like, wow, I never knew that the firearms community actually cared. And then there's also kind of a... Um, a anger from those same groups where, um, you know, we hear things like, um, you know, where they're saying, well, uh, you, 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 how can you possibly care about firearms? You know, they kill people and that kind of a thing. And then there's like this competition where we've seen where some of these uh, groups um, have tried to reach out and, and kind of gather information to somehow weaponize it against us. And honestly, I don't have time to really, um, get involved with all of that kind of stuff. I'm very, very focused on our mission, right. but we have seen where, um, where people from some of these groups try to like pose as somebody else and get information. And, sure. uh, recently this past week, someone from Giffords reached out and they were like, um, Giffords, I don't know if you know this, but they have a new gun owners, um, group <laughs> gun owners huh. for, for Giffords. Um, okay. and they, um, their whole thing is like, well, we believe in common sense gun laws and we're gun owners. And so therefore you should listen to what we have to say. And they were like, um, you know, Hey, since you're in the suicide prevention space, you should join us. And I, I said to this person, I was like, um, thank you for sharing your personal. So they had shared a personal story about a loss. I said, my heart goes out to you. However, we will not be joining your efforts. I didn't give any explanation. I just, it there, like you said, their mission is different than ours. It doesn't mean that people who are working, it, you know, in those groups and maybe even a collaborative setting, it doesn't mean that they're terrible people. They have their real reasons why they're doing it. But as far as Hold My Guns goes, we really care about preserving rights just as much um, because, again, defensive gun uses. And we always want to keep that at the forefront of our decision making. And um, yeah, so you yeah. <laughs> like John Petrolino says, I'm intense. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. But in a, but in a passionate way, which is awesome. Um, yes. and, and yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, you hit on something there that's, that's, that's wonderful. I, I think when we're, when we're having conversations with those with whom we do not agree, mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to be as common level-headed and respectable as possible, because I, I say this all the time that regardless of, the whole, you know, my facts don't care about your feelings. Feelings are a real thing and emotions are a real thing. Mm -hmm. And if somebody has been through something, right. Uh, yes. Or, or somebody has been, been, I don't want to say provoked, encouraged. What's, what would be the word? Um, 
but you talk about regular people that sometimes can be in these anti-gun organizations and those people actually want to save lives. I think some of the mm-hmm. people in those organizations, they want to save lives, but they have no frame of reference. They've really never right. been a gun owner. Maybe they've never been around them. They just see what's the headlines, mostly of what comes across the news mm-hmm. and, Oh, this organization's wanting to do something about it. I think that's, that's noble and awesome. And I'm going to join up to, to help the fight. That's one thing that I think is, is different with, anti-gun anti-liberty organizations versus the pro-gun pro-liberty organizations is Mm -hmm. most of the people we have involved are not blind followers i mean they they literally they i mean they understand they know the mission and genuinely and at heart they have you know they have that same exact mission which is awesome Mm -hmm. yes and whenever i speak uh to a mixed group of people especially i always do regardless but especially when I know that, you know, if we're working with a community or something where we have a Hold My Guns partner and we're doing outreach and that kind of a thing, I I know that there are other, uh, I should say, stakeholders at the table, many of of whom are in um, the prevention efforts and might be part of these organizations. And I always start out by saying, um, if you've experienced um, the loss of a loved one uh, to a firearms-involved injury, my heart goes out to you. I appreciate that you care about this cause. And what I'm sharing with you is um, something that is coming from within the firearms community so that we can help to reduce deaths with firearms. And it's very important that um, that we make sure that our messaging is one that is trauma-informed and also gun culture-informed. And it's it's not a matter of buzzwords, but I want for them to understand why it is that we're able to make a difference in the community and then remind them that part of that is that the gun owners carry a firearm because they're protecting things that they love, that they have a right to exercise um, carrying a firearm. And so part of that conversation is about responsibility. And if we start talking about uh, taking away rights, then what we're going to actually do is shut down the very people whom we're trying to reach. And that does seem to open doors and conversation, but it is very important that Hold My Guns as a nonprofit um, knows where we end and where others begin when you're in a coalition type environment, which you can't help it. Like if you're working with a city, like you don't have a say in who is all at the table, right? But you can always say like, as far as hold my guns goes, we're about saving lives, protecting property and preserving rights because we are reaching our own community. And this is the way we do it and you can support it or move on, but that's what we do. Right. Um, So let's, let's get the, uh, let's wind down the hour here. And I want to, I want to start out doing that. Uh, by talking a little more about the website and telling everybody out there, wherever you're watching, listening, the link is below. Definitely go check it out. Um, we talked a little bit about the website from a donation and, and a financial help standpoint earlier. As far as resources and things available there on the website, um, mm-hmm. give give people a, a, an idea of what uh, they can find there. So we have some resources uh, that if you go to the resource tab on the website, we have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that's up there um, and the Veterans Crisis Line, which is a similar number, but it's there's a, a number. Um, if you press number one, it goes to specifically helping veterans. And then we have other organizations up there like the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which 
please go to their website and check out their collaboration with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have um, excellent toolkits that are um, shared across the United States in all different sectors because they really take an authoritative approach on um, preventing suicide and firearms related injuries, but they do so from a perspective of preserving rights. And they've done an excellent job um, to promote personal responsibility. I also love their work, which is also on our website with Project Child Safe. You can always get free cable locks through Project Child Safe. Um, but they have excellent material on there too um, about, for especially we were talking about parenting earlier with talking to kids who might be experiencing a mental health crisis and precautions that gun owners uh, who are parents can take um, to make sure that their kids don't have unauthorized access to firearms um, or other lethal means. We do have Walk the Talk America on there as well. Um, and we have Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. So um, those are resources. If certainly like we are open to hearing about more resources. So if you know of, of some that you think would be a good fit for us to share with people, please let us know. Um, and we also have a cool section on there of testimonials where we have folks in our community nice. who have shared um, what the Hold My, Gush Hold My Guns mission means to them. Um, so check that out as well. Cool. So we've got, uh, I guess, looking forward to the future here. G-Webs out there has dropped a couple of questions. We'll get them. He says, what is the five-year plan for Hold My Guns? So no pressure there. <laughs> Five-year plan. Oh my goodness! Wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a fire? If we could have a fire storage partner in every single state. Yes. That that really is our goal. And, um, you know, part of the uh, I hate stupid gun control infringing things like you know, oh, you have a magazine limit on 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 uh, how many. <laughs> <laughs> on what you can have and how many rounds, all this kind of stuff. Those kinds of things actually create barriers for a gun owner who's seeking firearm storage. And, you know, if we have a, a location in every state and maybe even in every major city, I would love for it to be like a, a normal thing for gun shops to offer this service. Then it would help to um, remove that obstacle so that gun owners don't have to worry about like, you know, becoming a felon simply because they are right. taking their um, their firearm with a, a extended magazine, which is a normal magazine uh, <laughs> across state lines. We don't want to have to worry about that. So yep. five-year plan, definitely expanding. I, I want for it to be a very standard thing coming from within the firearms community to have suicide prevention training. And we're, we are working to grow that. Um, I encourage you, if this has resonated with you to reach out um, and we can coordinate upcoming trainings for that. Um, and I just, I see this as an opportunity in our community to take leadership and to really take dominion on this. And, uh, that's, that's the five-year plan. We have opportunities for people to volunteer. We have a Slack channel that we just recently started. So if people want to get in on the conversation and share ideas, uh, the big thing that will help us grow uh, is is involvement from leaders um, like we saw in, in uh, earlier this year from Active Self-Protection, HK, Mantis, and Palm. When we have um, big players involved, then it shows from the top down the gun community cares and we're involved and we're supporting these efforts. So please help us to connect with that and that will make that five-year plan even more robust than what it is now. Awesome. And I, that, that kind of plays into G-Web's next question, which is you get a wish. What do you wish for to accomplish your goals? So I think you, I think you just answered that. 
pretty much. Yeah, it's it is uh, it, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's my first time like running a nonprofit. I really love it, and there's a lot to think about. But I think what I wish for most is for people to become involved. And you know, we've been around for a couple years now. You guys know we're not gun grabbers. We're part of the community, and so now is the time to step up and um, to say the firearms community is taking leadership on these issues. We also care about defensive gun uses and we care about personal responsibility. So we're bringing these ideas together and we're handling this. We're taking leadership on it. The, my big wish is for more people to get involved, at, especially at a higher level, so that this can just spread across the United States and that we can save lives, protect property and preserve rights. <laughs> awesome. Uh, before we, uh, before we bail, before we jump, is there anything you can think of we, we haven't covered that's mission critical that we should give a few minutes to? Um, uh, I encourage people to go check out our safety plans. You can find those on our social media, uh, in the link trees and the, in the bio. So our, most of our social is uh, hold my guns at hold my guns org. And if you look in our bio, there's uh, there's two versions. There's an, a girl and a gun version, which is a little bit more detailed because it explains um, why we're asking uh, the different questions in the safety plan. And then there's kind of a, a two page text only version. That's just, it's short. Now these are to be downloaded onto a piece of paper and you can fill them out with a pen. This is not information that like, we're not, um, you do not fill it out on our website. We don't know what you're writing. This is for your personal use only. And so mission critical, I encourage all of you to come up with a safety plan that includes de-escalation for you personally. What are the things that help you? And making sure that the resources that you trust are written down and easily accessible. If for whatever reason you find yourself, um, you know, with outside intervention, whether you're in a car accident or you find yourself in a crisis, you're going to want to make sure that you have access to your preferred resources. So there's a place for that. And then of course, there's also a place in there for lethal means storage. And I encourage everybody to have a plan proactively. It is very hard to think when you're in the middle of a crisis. And the more you can plan ahead, the more agency you're going to have in that decision-making process and the more chances you're going to have for preserving your rights and, and not spinning out of control in that situation because you're doing your critical thinking before there's a crisis. So that's my, that's my big ask for people is download a safety plan, fill it out, Keep it in a safe place. If you want to, you can share it with your spouse or your battle buddy or somebody that you trust. But the goal is to think ahead and, and plan for it before you find yourself in a crisis situation. Yep. It's uh, it's no different than we practice, we train, all that good stuff to carry every day. It's, it's yes. no difference except for it's just from the uh, the mental health side of things mm -hmm. uh, and the crisis side of things uh, on, a, on a different level. Um Sarah, thank you for uh, for joining us here. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming, and uh, I know you won't be at NRA, but hopefully we get a chance to uh, see each other again soon. I uh, enjoyed the conversation, and if you ever have anything to share, you need to come back on. You need a platform. Uh, the door's always open here, so just understand that. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to you, too. So for uh, everybody out there that made it an hour and seven minutes in replay, you guys are troopers. If you went this long live, I don't know what to think. You might need some professional help. But uh, it was a great conversation <laughs> regardless. 
We're going to get out of here. Thanks again to everybody that joined. And until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom.